This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. He is a communication consultant with 25 years experience in helping improve business outcomes for organizations. He's also been in leadership positions at Microsoft, Ritz-Carlton Hotel, and Marriott. Luis Gonzalez, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Pleasure to be here. And uh, super excited because I love talking about communication. And the reason why I love talking about communication is we all do it. And uh, a lot of us don't do it very well. So before we get started, is there anything else you wanted to add about who you are uh, that I didn't speak about in the introduction before we get started? I think that was good. Let's dive into it. All right. So here we are in 2020. It's been one interesting year. And a lot of people, of course, we have COVID and we have social media and we have the censorship that's going on. A lot of stuff's going on. And a lot of people are forgetting the basics of communication. There's a lot of anger, a lot of hatred. That's one of the reasons why I left Facebook. I left Twitter. I, I don't have time for all that rhetoric. So what, let's let's look at the 30,000 foot level. What do you see going on, not just in the corporate environment, but in terms of communication worldwide? Uh, just overall, I see that what you just named, that, of course, we're all glued. I, and I say we, I paint with a wide brush, maybe a little bit less you, a little bit less me. You know, everyone's on a spectrum at some point. But we are we have devices in our faces at all times. Whether you're sitting in front of a computer, you know, have tablets, have phones, we're connected. And that's the way we've been communicating. And it's exacerbated or it's increased since COVID. What I have seen, and I don't have data to back this up. This is anecdotal evidence. In the corporate world and in my personal world as well, we people, we human beings who are hardwired emotionally at our core are craving the real human connection. And we're diving more and more looking for it in, uh, in, in the Internet world, in the, off, in the online world, in the uh, world of the web, if you will. You know, online, everything is online. And we're craving that human connection. We're not able to touch one another, hug one another, or really just sit with one another face to face and share our emotions. And so we try to uh, replace that with Zoom chats, which may or may not work effectively, depending on if people have their camera on. Uh, are we assuming uh, a certain person's mood when we can't see their face? There's so many complications that get in our way of this trying to just connect with other human beings when we're doing it all virtually. So to answer your questions in summary, uh, yes, absolutely. I agree. We are just really all glued to screens at some point or another, whether we have to or whether we're just wasting time, either for work or we're passing time. And I think we're just really craving during this year, authentic human connections like we used to be able to do. Those are my thoughts. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. I believe technology is a blessing and a curse. I'm 55 years young. I remember when there was no cell phone, no Internet, no home computers. I mean, I remember that time. And, you know, if you want to know what happened in the news, you had to wait till like the evening news or the morning paper. That's just the way it is. <laughs> now we've come to, OK, if something happens at 1201, 1202, I want video footage. I want pictures. I want interviews. And it's just like we are so obsessed with everything that's going on in the world. And to your point, we're losing that human connection. I mean, there are people, sadly, I have heard that they're saying, we're going to have to wear masks the rest of our lives. We're going to have to be social distancing the rest of our lives. And the way they talk, it's almost like they're cheering for it. And I'm like, we're human beings. We were designed to be close to each other, to hug and shake hands. That's who we are. And I'm looking forward to the day 
when we don't have to wear a mask so I can see your smile. So I can see your expression on your face. Cause right now the mask takes up two thirds of your face. And I, I, you know, we miss that. We're not like animals. We are human beings and we part of communication is your facial expression. It's right. the, the, how you're talking. And I, I can't wait to get back to that. Yeah, I agree. And I would say that, you know, the people you just quoted who were saying we're going to be doing this forever or whatever the term they use, that sounds hyperbolic to me. We all know that's not going to happen. So I would just, I wouldn't even put my energy there. We may be doing this for another year uh, or we don't know how long we'll be doing this, but it will come to an end. This too shall pass. So number one, I, I disregard that forever. You know, that's, that's fear-based for me. That's hyperbolic. Uh, but yeah, it is unfortunate and we're all doing the best we can. And, uh, you know, yeah, there's a craving for that human connection. I just, if I can just share with you very briefly, I finally got to touch, hold, kiss my aunt, who is a widow. I'm her primary caregiver. She's in a living, living assisted facility. My brother and I met her at an audiology appointment yesterday. Now we put her in, we put her, we had to admit her to a living assisted facility in May, right in the thick of COVID. And it was like we handed her over to two astronauts and they wheeled her in the back door of this living assisted facility. And we never had contact with her again, except for on a Zoom chat. And she's hard of hearing. Yesterday, my brother and I went to the audiology appointment. She was transported via ambulance from the living assisted facility to go to that appointment. And my brother and I found the loophole because at the living assisted facility, we can't come in. We can sit outside the window. We can do Zoom chats. But we missed that human connection. We found that loophole yesterday. We were able to hug her, touch her, kiss her, tell her we love her. And it just made all the difference in the world for her, her mood, her uh, mental uh, health, and ours as well. So I just wanted to share that bit of good news with you. There are loopholes. Yeah, and it is good news. My mom has uh, late-onset Alzheimer's. She's a three-year-old trapped in a 76-year-old body. My dad's 79, and he's her full-time caregiver. And he doesn't want to put her in assisted living because, for what you just said, they've been married 57 years. And he doesn't want to put her in a home, and all of a sudden, he can't ever see her again. So... Unfortunately for my dad, my mom has really good days and some really bad days and some kind in the middle. And he, you know, he texts me all the time. They live in Florida. I live in Houston. And, you know, it's frustrating because he knows the good thing for mom would be in a nursing home, but he also knows he may never get to see his wife again. So that is really a big decision you have to make. I'd agree. I'd agree. Yeah. And I'm glad he saw that. In our case, we didn't we didn't have a choice. He's able to care for her at home, and I fully support that. Until this whole COVID thing, uh, we have some sort of solution where he won't risk that danger of never being able to see her again. Uh, so I fully respect that, honor that, and good for him. We had no choice because we were uh, we were unable to take care of my aunt. So kudos to your dad, and I wish your mom all the best as well. Well, thank you. Uh, so let's talk about communication. One of the things I get asked a lot about uh, in terms of communication, this is just one form of communication is email. We've all gotten those emails where it might as well have been an Ernest Hemingway novel. I mean, it just goes on from DNA to present day. And I always tell people, look, it, when you're emailing someone, be as brief as you possibly can, because 
I don't know about you, Luis. When I get an email, if it's a long email, I'm not reading the whole thing. I'm I'm just not reading it. Better that everything you need to tell me better be in the first couple of lines because I have things to do. What are, what are your thoughts about email, email communication? Man, I'm biting my tongue right now because I'm ready to jump into this conversation. You and I share the same perspective there. Look, I have a sister who's a writer. I've been telling her for the last, oh, since emails have been around, what, 15, 20 <laughs> years, uh, please don't send me novels. I won't read them. Number one, I don't have the attention span. First and foremost, it's a physical thing. I just don't have that attention span. So please send me what I call punchlines. I've told her this. Just send me the punchlines. We can talk about it later. I am a verbal communicator more than a written communicator. Um, I deal with this in my own, well, I got to be careful how I say this. I deal with this and have dealt with this with many colleagues currently and past. Same thing. They, uh, they're writers and that's awesome. They have the skill and ability to really express themselves and add a lot of context. But in our busy workday, and I'll speak for myself, my busy workday, I really, especially then just need punchlines. Please make it bullet pointed punchlines. We can always circle back and I can ask questions or we can even schedule a 15 minute check-in, which is what I'd like to do so we can actually have a conversation, saves a heck of a lot of time rather than emails back and forth. But I'm with you 100%, Ski. Uh, Punchlines, please. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and again, it's for effectiveness. It saves time. I understand. Now, I'm also a storyteller, so I understand context. And sometimes I need and want context to get the bigger picture and to make a better decision. But more often than not, Right away in that first email communication, I think punchlines and bullet points uh, are more helpful than not for me. So I agree with you. I remember I got an email. I don't remember how long ago it was. It was like this big block of text and I I wasn't going to read it. So I replied because I knew the person very well. And I'm like, have you ever heard of the return key or white space or paragraphs? Do any of these things ring a bell to you? And they wrote back and like they said, I'm so sorry. I just wanted to get it to you. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going to read it. Okay. You should have taken the extra (laughs) minute or two and use a couple cares returns because I think when we get an email, we see a lot of white spaces like, okay, it's a lot more easily to consume than if you have something that's a big block of text. It's like when you're reading a book and you turn the page and all you see is this, it's Mm. just text. There's no paragraphs. And it's like, okay, listen, I need those uh, spaces. Say what you got to say, then have a little subhead and say what you want to say because it breaks up the monotony and it makes it easier to consume it. Yep. Yep. I would agree. And if I can just share a tip that I use, you know, for maybe some of your listeners, look, as I mentioned a second ago, I'm also a storyteller. I love to tell stories with lots of context. So if I'm writing an email to someone, a colleague or a boss, or, and it's going to be a little lengthy because there's a lot of details involved, involved, I'll go ahead and write that story. I'll brain dump it onto the, you know, the field of the email. And then I will spend 10 to 15 minutes and I will go back and I will cut unnecessary words, repetitive ideas and thoughts I've already shared. We don't need to say that again. I will whittle it down. And then last step, I will add bullet points or check marks to draw the reader's attention and then send it off. So it takes a little bit longer, but that's a way for me to process everything that's in my head to get it out. And then again, switch my brain over to now, how am I going to make this as effective as possible for my reader? Because at the end of the day, it's not about me sharing my context and telling the story. At the end of the day, it's about me getting a message across to a stakeholder and then, you know, taking some action from it. And that's what my goal is. 
Hey there, it's Mark. I just wanted to hop in here real quick to invite you to check out MrProductivity.com to find out how to be coached by me for less than a dollar a day, get my top five productivity tips, and so much more. It all happens over at MrProductivity.com. A couple of years ago, Microsoft did this survey and they found out the average attention span is eight seconds. Now, I want the listener to think about something. What can you do in eight seconds? Okay, not a lot. If that's the attention span of the person you're sending this communication is uh, to. So if you got this ginormous Ernest Hemingway novel email, they're not going to read it in eight seconds. So I think we need to do is what you said. We need to break it down, put white space, use bullet points, but understand that people are busy and they're fighting uh, an attention span, which I believe is shrinking every year. I think it's going down every year that you, you, this is who you're talking to. And, and if you send me a long email, I mean, I have a a, probably a longer attention span than most people, but I'm not going to read a long email because I've read those long emails and you, you know, you're like me, Luis, you get the end of the page. You're like, this, this could have been like four sentences. Why, why'd they write so many, so many words? Or even worst case scenario for me, and this has happened recently, <laughs> professionally, you read the long novel and then you get to the end of it or I get to the end of it and I go, okay, now what? Yes. And then I have to go all the way. And then I have to go all the way back and read it again and start gleaning out the key points myself and making a note with a pen and a scratch pad <laughs> on the side so that I can reply. Yes. Frustrating. And think about that. how much wasted time <laughs> yeah. that you are causing the recipient of your message. If your message is not clear, they have to read it once, twice, three times, four times, make notes. That's taking time away from what they have to do, which goes into my area expertise of productivity. I don't like wasted time. And so I'll, I've seen that some people send me emails and they'll, they'll summarize the very like first two or three sentences and then they'll go into details. So people like you and me, we just want the facts. That first paragraph of two to three sentences, we get the point. For everyone else who likes to read the novel from DNA to present day, they have that too. So I see that, but I, I still think I go back to that's a waste of your time because do you know the recipients? Are your recipients just want the two or three sentences? And if most of them are, you're wasting your time writing all these other words that no one's going to read anyways. I'm going to add to that too. Let's waste some more time, shall we? Uh, so, <laughs> let, so let's say, for example, you send me that Ernest Hemingway novel email, but there's important stuff in it. I go through the motions, what I just described. I read it and I go, what the heck is that? And then I read it again and I pull out all the relevant points. And then I do what a lot of us humans do when we try to fill in the blanks we, we fill them in with our assumptions. And yes. so I may, I may assume the intent and the request and the action needed of this big, long, earnest Hemingway message. And so then it, I, I go ahead and I follow through with all of that. And maybe I spend time doing that. Maybe it involves a little bit of research. Maybe it takes some time. And I send it off in a reply to that person only to find a reply later saying, oh, maybe I didn't explain myself right or properly or what I meant was now that's more wasted time. And then you can extrapolate from there. What are the effects of that? Eventually, is it going to, is it going to come to the point that we lose a client, that we lose a customer because we've now wasted time and we're late on a delivery or our messaging isn't correct or, you know, as pointed as it should be because we lack of time, we wasted time, you know, going back and forth. And there's a dollar sign that's attached to all that, as you know. Yes. Listeners do as well. You can put that on a, at the end of the day, you can put it on a spreadsheet and take it to the bank or withdraw it from the bank. 
Right, because if you're sending a rather long communication to a prospect and they said, look, I don't have time to read this, you could very well lose a sale. So to your point, you could be losing money by over-communicating with these long emails. (laughs) Yes, yes. And not only that, personality-wise, you have to understand who you're writing to. Will that person be turned off by someone who is very verbose and contextual in their communication? They may just decide in in their own minds, hey, you know what? Sure, they're a nice person, but I don't want to work with them just simply based on their communication style. It doesn't match mine. Exactly. So that's one form of communication, email. Now, I prefer that people will text me, okay? I don't get in my email very often, and I do have a very clean email inbox. I'm very protective of my email mm-hmm. inbox. I encourage people, if you've got really quick questions for me, you want a quick reply, not instantaneous, but much quicker than email, I tell people, text me, send me a Facebook Messenger message or WhatsApp message. What are your thoughts about these shorter term? Now, I don't want your... I don't want your novel on text messaging, okay? Uh, The whole point of driving people to the instant messaging is you get, I hope that people keep it really concise. Like, here's my question. What are your thoughts on those uh, methods of communication? I agree. And I'm going to take a step back. What I'm faced with right now is a challenge of, you know, letting people know what my preferred communication style is, and it may not be their preferred communication style. What I mean by that is, as I mentioned already, I'm I'm a verbal guy. Uh, you know, I can write, emails are fine, and texts are fine, I suppose. But first and foremost, I prefer you just call me or text me and say, hey, you got a minute? If it's long informational stuff that it needs to bake, I need to think about, it's a long-term project, lots of details involved, then please send me an email because I need to review that later. I need to reference it, reference it later, etc. So that's where I like my emails to come in. But in terms of when I'm working with my team, like a day like today, you got a question for me. You could just easily get an answer from me to help you push your project or whatever it is you need to do along. Just text me and say, you got a minute or we use Zoom. Just Zoom chat me. You busy? You'll see my green light. I'm not, if it's green, I'm available. We can cut to the chase a lot quicker, but I will say this, not a lot of people will take the bait. They will still send me the emails. And frankly, I don't like chats. Frankly, I don't like chats because you know why? I am just telling my sister this yesterday. She sends me three, four, five. She's the writer. Three, four, five uh, text bubbles that come in. But then I have business ones coming in. I have relatives coming in. I have appointments uh. being telling me to rem- reminding me of my haircut appointment, reminding me of the Mark Strucheski, uh podcast that's in five minutes. And it's just ding, 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 ding. I'm over it. I don't, I just, I put it on vibrate and sometimes I forget. And then at the end of the day, 5 PM, I'm done with my day. I suddenly glance at my phone and I see there's a, <laughs> there's a list of text messages that I haven't answered. So that's me. You know, if it's long information, a project, things we need to, that's ongoing, send me an email so I can reference it, review it later. The quick stuff, just call me. I tell everybody, just call me. You got my number. And if I'm not available, do it like it was 1980. Leave me a voicemail. <laughs> I love that. Now, now before I, I ask my next question, I got to ask you, what is this haircut thing you're talking about? I'm, I'm not familiar with that. Well, you know, now just just like uh, just like you send reminders. Hey, don't forget you've got a podcast uh, interview with Mark Struchesky. Easy, easy for you to it. say. I can do it. Uh, and so now uh, the 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 girl who cuts my hair, she does that too. I set the appointment, and then a week before the appointment, I'll get a ding ding, and then the day before the appointment, I'll get a don't forget you got a haircut tomorrow. And I guess I you miss, I guess you missed my whole point there because I am bald. So I was going, I was trying, I was trying to be funny. I didn't. Okay. Uh, I got hair, man. I got hair. It's gray, but I got it. 
listener, if you don't know I'm bald, then you didn't understand the joke, and Luis didn't understand the joke either. So let's just go past that. Um, but the, so getting back to w- about the phone, you know, I don't mind talking to people on the phone, but I, I've even trained my father, my 79-year-old father, who never used an iPhone until two years ago when mom got Alzheimer's. I said, always text me first. I don't like calls out of the blue. Number one, I want to be in a mental space. So if you say, hey, listen, Luis, if you text me, say, hey, listen, can I talk to you for five minutes? Well, right now I may not be available, but I say like three o'clock I could. Now I'm going to be ready. Now I'm going to be able to devote my time yeah. to you. So I don't like people just calling me. Just give me a real quick text. My father's really good at this now. He'll say, hey, you got a minute? I'll say yes, then he'll call me. Yeah. But I find the calls that you just ring my phone. If I'm in the middle of doing something, now I've lost focus. I may be working on a blog post. I may be working on an article, whatever the case may be. Now I've gotten disrupted from that. So now I'm already not happy. I got the phone call. That's and true. so what are your thoughts on that? Do you really prefer people to text you first before they call you? I'm going to go back and kind of restate what I said. I think I'm more aligned with you. I I tell family members to just call me, but I have to be honest. What I do is I'm sitting here at my desk working from home since March. I put my phone on do not disturb. But what happens is I can always glance over it and over at it and a little bubble will pop up and say I've missed a call. Um, But I do actually prefer people to text me and say, hey, you got a minute and then call me. But if they do call me, I'm fine with that. But like I said, during work hours, I just put it on do not disturb and I glance at it every now and then to see what's coming through. Now, it's interesting that you keep referencing like your phone will vibrate. I'm a really big proponent of turning vibration mode off. That way, when you put your phone on mute, it doesn't vibrate because vibration makes noise. So my phone right now was well, on do not disturb because we're doing this interview right now, but I never have vibration mode on. And people go, well, what if it's on mute and you're talking to someone and you get a phone call? I don't know. I got the phone call because yeah. I, if I'm talking to you right now, I don't want to answer my phone. I don't want to look at my text message. I don't want to check in on social media. I think people are so distracted now. I think it's really rude. If I'm with someone and they look down at their phone, I will do one of two things, Luis. One, I will stop talking or I'll start saying stupid things like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to cut your children up and mail them to all the parts of the world. And they're going, (laughs) oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah, go for it. They're not even listening to me. I'm like, dude. You, you know, listen, is that more important? Is that the president of the, of the United States? Is that uh, someone from a CEO has got to ask you a question? What is so important? Oh, just someone's just sent me a joke. I'm like, seriously, dude? So that's more important to me. So I get really offended when people, now if you tell me, hey, listen, I got to get this. And you say, do you mind? That's okay. But when you just pull out your phone and we're having a conversation, I find that very rude. What do you think? You're serious about your online business. I am too. That's why I proudly host my website on Kajabi. It's everything you need all rolled into one platform. For more information and to try Kajabi free for 14 days, go to the link in the show notes or go to markstuchowski.com forward slash Kajabi. That's Kajabi, K-A-J-A-B-I. Yeah, that's that's part of what I teach, uh, Ski. And you were talking, you know, you started the conversation. We were talking about, uh, you know, so much connectivity and, and screen time. I, I think we were talking about all that. That's another another downside of all this is the interruptions and the distractions. Uh, and so part of what I teach is uh, when we're taught, when I'm teaching and training, you know, communication skills and fierce conversations, effective conversations, I say be here, prepared to be nowhere else. So if you're in a conversation with someone, be that on a phone, a Zoom chat or in person, put your phone on do not disturb. And like you said, I fully back that up, not even on uh, vibrate because it's going to, it's going to distract. 
put it on do not disturb or turn it off. Give some eye contact. If you're in a video conference, turn on your camera. I understand some people cannot leave their camera on for whatever reason. I get that. Turn your camera on for the first few minutes so people can see your smile. It's, yes. it's a physical thing. It's a brain and chemical thing. When we see other human beings smile, it registers in our brain and we can interpret if it's genuine, if it's not genuine. And so many things come from that. So yes, absolutely. I'm a f- big proponent of, and again, I have my phone on do not disturb right now for the very same reason. And when I do webinars, when I facilitate webinars, I've got 20, 30 people on a zoom call with me as I'm training them. I tell them to put your phones on do not disturb. Don't even put it on vibrate because if you got your microphone on, we'll yeah. all hear it vibrating on the desk. So I fully support that. I'm with you. On that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny. Uh, with Zoom, I, I don't use Zoom as much as I used to anymore. I've gone to Google Meet, but that's a, another conversation. I was on someone else's podcast the other day, and it, was, it wasn't it was a video uh, podcast, but she we had the video so we could see each other. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm talking about a productivity tip. All of a sudden, I see this movement behind her, and I'm like, I'm trying to maintain my focus. And and I, I think I did a reasonably good job, but when we were done, I said, yeah, that one part of the the uh, my answer, I was kind of like got really slow. She goes, yeah, what happened? I said, there was something. She goes, oh, that was my cat. It freaked me out because I'm like, okay. <laughs> and now she was talking to be okay, but I'm trying to maintain eye contact with her and trying to talk. And I see this thing jump up and start moving around. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, crap. I'm the one talking. I'm like, okay, how do I maintain my concentration, what I'm saying, my focus, oh, and not man. get distracted? I've never had that happen before. And she goes, I'm so sorry. I should have told you about that. Yeah, that would have been nice to alert me. <laughs> so there may be yeah. things moving around behind you. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, it wasn't <laughs> squirrel. It was like, oh, look, cat. Um, so... <laughs> Let's 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 wrap up this episode by talking about communication in the workplace. Um, you've worked for Microsoft and for Ritz Carlton Hotel and the Marriott International. When you now you and I are probably around the same age. I'm guessing I'm 55. Is that yes, we are. I'm okay. 58, born in 62. Okay. So you know, back in the day, back in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s, when I first started working, the communication was a lot different back then. You know, my boss would yell at me, and there was none of this. Uh, what I would call coddling. Now everything's got to be politically correct. Uh, I think people are far more and ins- more insensitive than they are now. I think, you know, we don't have, um, what's that? Uh, we don't let things go off our back. Not everybody's out to get you. Uh, that's my, that's my point here. Not everybody's out to insult you. There are many people are, but not everybody is. So how do people in the modern age, modern leaders, how do they deal with communication? Cause I know this is your area of, of expertise. So how do we deal with communication? Maybe you can narrow that down a little bit, that question in terms of what? Well, let's say you're a leader and you have to communicate to your staff, whether it be your direct reports or uh, you're a CEO of a, or a hotel and you're actually walking around uh, mm-hmm. the hotel talking to staff. How, how do they communicate people now in 2020? Well, my first number one uh, rule of thumb is I start with getting curious. Now, unless it's a directive where there's no room for discussion, I've got a, you know, you know, something's coming down from above their new process, procedure, whatever it is. And I've just got to deliver that message. That's one thing. Uh, and just to be brief on that, you know, I deliver what the goal is, what we're doing, the reason we're doing it and how this benefits you and what I need you to do. And then what questions do you have on how I can support you with that? That's one thing. The other thing, though, is let's say, for example, I'm walking around the hotel in the old days, right? And I see something out of place or I see something not right. 
Um, the old way I would address that and how I learned in the old days, early 80s, late 70s, was to just jump right in and say, what the heck is going on here? Who's responsible for this? Why is this happening? Fix it now. And I'd walk away and it would get done. But guess what? My people lived in fear of me, fear of retribution, fear of retaliation, fear of screwing up. And while you get the results, you don't get the trust. Uh, you don't get the what I call emotional capital. In other words, without that trust, there's no bank account if you will, of trust, where right. people will go the extra mile for you. So if I say jump, people will say, yes, how high? And they'll jump. But when I come back and say, hey, I know I scheduled you off on Sunday, but I'm short staffed. I need you to come in. I can't really expect them to say, yeah, boss, what time do you need me? I'm here for you. Right. Because I've not, because I had that top-down style of management. So now what I've learned over these years, for example, if I were in the hotel uh, hospitality industry now, which I'm not, uh, but if I were and I had a large team of guest services professionals like I used to and I'm walking around the lobby and I see things out of place, instead of going, hey, what the heck is going on here? Who's in charge of this? Fix it now. Better not be this way when I come back. Now I ask, what's going on here? Who can help me understand why this is happening or not happening? Okay. And then they tell me. And then I ask more questions. So what are you going to do about it? What do you see as a resolution? What was your role in this? What could you have done differently to prevent this from happening or to make sure this happens? And what are you going to do about it and when? My wish is that it's fixed now, but please tell me, if I, am I seeing something I'm not seeing here? Is there something here I'm not understanding? I'd have that conversation. This can all be done in five minutes. This does not even to be a, need to be a very long, drawn-out conversation. But my point is I go in with curiosity first rather than going in with my ego and being right about whatever it is I see. Because you know what? I may There may be more to the story here that I'm aware of. There may be more details here that I'm not aware of. And if I just come charging right in with that attitude, I may look like an idiot. I may be wrong and get mud on my face, may get embarrassed. I may ruin relationships, worst case scenario, uh, and have attrition. And then I got to find new people, build trust with them again. So to answer your question, I go in now with, first of all, curiosity. Help me understand what's going on here. What are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What was your role in this? What are you going to, you know, how are you going to fix it? When are you going to fix it? And then I forgot to tell you earlier, the last one is let's follow up. Let's check back later today. How'd it go? You know, I have got to tell you that the part about getting curious is so important and I it really struck a chord with me because I love studying leaders. I love studying, you know, CEOs and all these people out there. I mean CEOs aren't leaders, but you understand what I'm saying. Sure, sure. Um people who are effective leaders are curious. They're not tyrants. They're not like Joseph Stalin's or Adolf Hitler's. They're curious. Definitely. And I think that gets people uh, respecting them. And I can look back. I, I was fired from my job at corporate America in 2005, but I can look back from 2005 all the way to when I first started. And the most effective leaders were not tyrants. They were like, Hey, well, so why are you doing it this way? Or why is this happening? Or why is this over here? They were curious. And mm -hmm. when I felt that they really wanted to understand, I felt trust just what you just said i felt yep. trust because they weren't condemning me they were yep. saying well hey listen the company says to do it this way you're doing it this way maybe this is a better way and they were open-minded and they were curious and i just want to uh, thank you for bringing it up to us because i don't think that we are curious enough especially as leaders we, we yep. like to say i'm the leader i'm the boss do as i say but then to your point 
you get people operating out of fear. You don't want your staff operating out of fear. But when you come to them as curiosity, now they're like, oh, he's re- he or she is really interested. Now they're more likely to share with what they're doing because they may very well have a better way of doing it that's going to be better for the company in the long run. Yes. I, can I speak to that? A uh, couple of points I'd like to make, if you don't Absolutely. mind. Uh, the, the first one uh, is that we human beings are really good at uh, detecting when someone is pulling the wool over our eyes. Yeah. So if you get curious, like we were talking about, it's got to be genuine. People know when there's when when we're being disingenuous there's something inside us that resonates number 1 so you got to be genuinely curious you can't just go in and pretend to be curious knowing in the back of your mind you're going to do what you wanted to do anyway or you're going to go ahead and you know lay down the law as you had planned on doing anyway so that's the first point i wanted to make the second point with regard to decision making and getting curious you know if i'm a leader and I need to make a big decision, uh, develop a new process or procedure, or I'm going to do something that is going to affect other stakeholders. And the decision is mine to make. And I'm either going to get praise and accolades for it, or I'll get fired for it or somewhere in between. Look, my role as a leader with the organization is to make the best possible decisions for the organization, not to be right or prove myself right. So when faced with a large decision, uh, or something that you've got to design that's going to affect stakeholders, a new procedure process, whatever it is, that's where curiosity really works as well in terms of helping leaders make the best possible decisions. And so what I will do is I'll, I'll go ahead and make the decision myself after, you know, thinking about it, the pros, the cons, you know, how we do normal decision making, and I'll come up with my plan, but then I'll run it by people perhaps three, four other stakeholders, perhaps people who will be my devil's advocate, perhaps people who I know will poke holes in my idea. Because actually, Ski, that's what I want. If there's a weak spot in my plan or idea, please point it out to me. And so I'll get curious and I'll say with that group of people, those group of stakeholders, here's what I'm planning to do. Here's why. But before I roll this out, I want to know what your thoughts are. How is this going to affect your team Clients, perhaps, if you're client-facing, customer-facing. And do you have any better ideas than me? And do you see holes or gaps in my ideas? Please point those out. And a collaboration happens that's amazing. And then I'm better equipped to make and feel better about making the best possible decision. It may be the one I originally had, or it may have changed because now I've got different perspectives from other people that may say, hey, wait, if you do that, by the time it gets down to the front line and we're dealing with a customer it's not going to go well. And here's why. Oh, God, thanks for pointing that out to me. Huh, I, I didn't see that. I'm not customer facing anymore. I didn't realize that. So that's where curiosity really helps as well with decision making. And not only that, I'll end what I'm saying by saying we're talking about trust. When you do that and you say, thanks, team, here's what I'm going to do. Thank you for the collaboration. You build trust. And then when you make the decision or do whatever it is that you had to do as the leader and it's a success and you get the accolades for having made that decision, you get to share the love with the people who collaborated with you to help you make that decision. You share the love and say, I couldn't do it without the collaboration of these team members. They get some some spotlight shined on them. Trust is really enriched. Relationships are enriched. And to me, it just it gets better from there. So those are my thoughts. When you were talking about the frontline people, I remember one of the jobs I worked at Corporate America, they were installing new software and the C-suite was involved and like the director levels were installed. 
involved, but they never asked the people that would be using the software yes. day in and day out. Yes. And they just said, basically said, we picked software A, we're going to train you how to do it. And it was yes. so different than the one we we're using before. We had such a long learning curve because people were like, how do I do this again? And because they didn't involve us. And I, and that's so, I'm so glad you brought that up yep. because you have to involve everyone. It's not probably the CEO is probably not going to use the software. So you should yep. involve the people on the front lines. Yep. I had, you, you just said a scenario that I dealt with last year pre COVID with the, was a uh, healthcare industry, an organization within the healthcare industry. And exactly what you said, their IT department and I don't know, a couple of other departments got together and redesigned the whole user interface for the patient side. They did not run it by or get the perspective of anybody who were like the patient uh, advocates or the people that deal face-to-face with the patients on a regular basis. They went ahead, they rolled it out, and it flopped. And it was a big waste of money, a big waste of time, and they had so many disgruntled uh, patients, it, it was sad. All of that could have been avoided by one probably less than an hour conversation with people who were interfacing with those patients to say, no, that user interface will not work. Here's why. Let's try this. So yeah, to your point, to your point. Yeah. Well, this has been one incredible conversation. Uh, got really curious on it. Uh, so (laughs) I, I I want to thank you, but before we wrap up, where can we go to find out more about you? Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, what there are two ways to get in touch with me. So if you're a leader, you want to transform communication in your team, your organization is what we were like what we were talking about. I'd like to direct you first to our Fierce website. Go to fierceinc.com, F-I-E-R-C-E-I-N-C.com forward slash events forward slash podcasts. Hopefully we can put that in the liner, liner notes, ski, but I'd like to direct people to where our podcasts are hosted. That's where this podcast uh, will be hosted there on that part of the site. But there's also lots of free resources that uh, a lot of your listeners can can explore and get for free, fierceinc.com. Second thing is connect with me on LinkedIn. I love expanding my network uh, and I'm active on LinkedIn. So please join me there, linkedin.com forward slash I-N forward slash my name, Luis Gonzalez. Well, I love LinkedIn, and I am so thankful that you came on the podcast today to share your insights. So thank you so much, Luis. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Ski, it was my pleasure as well. Thank you for having me. And just before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. Find out how I can coach you for less than a dollar a day. No joke. And also, you can get my top five productivity tips and so much more. It all happens at mrproductivity.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.